Hello and welcome to the Life Church Audio Podcast. We hope that you find these messages encouraging, life-giving, and ultimately get you closer to Jesus. Enjoy the message. Okay, we, we are busy with a series um, and, um, of Elijah. Next week, we'll, we'll finish off um, with Elijah. Um, and next week, uh, we, we are calling next week's message is Send the Fire. Um, send the Fire, God. Um, and this week, I have a few different um, titles for this week's message. I haven't decided yet which one I'm, I'm going to use. Um, not, not because, um, I don't know, it, I thought of about 10 different ones. Because I think it's, it's relevant for, for every single person in a different way. Uh, a title might speak to you in a different way. So as we go along, I'll kind of mention the titles as I, as I came up with them. The question I want to start with, with is, how many, of you, um, how many of you know what the invisible stage is? The invisible stage. How many of you hate the invisible? Okay, hate's maybe a strong word. How many of you don't like the invisible stage? You know the invisible stage. Some of you are, are, are not sure what I'm talking about. And people are scrolling through their concordances. Try and find, is this like a Christian word? I'm new to this. I don't know what the invisible stage in Christian language is. The invisible stage is the following. It's where, where you are putting in all the work. Like you're putting the work in, but it looks like you have nothing to show for it. Anybody here love that stage? I love that stage. I'm exercising. I'm putting in all the work. I'm exercising, but I still have nothing to show for it. Or I'm eating healthy, but it's still not in the invisible stage. It's more visible. Um, or you are planting and you are sowing and, and you are giving and you're being generous um, and you're forgiving others even when they don't deserve it and even when they don't forgive you back. Or, um, you, are, you are investing in people's lives but it's invisible. The, re the return seems invisible. It seems like there's nothing to show for it yet. There, there's nothing. You're praying for healing and recovery. Praying for someone you can spend the rest of your life with. But right now, people look at you weird when you talk to her because she's still in the invisible stage. I counseled somebody this week and said to me, you know, like... You want somebody in your life, you have to start thanking God for that person. Even though she's not there yet, start thanking God for the person that he's sending into your life. Even though she's invisible right now. And the thing about the invisible stage is that's faith. Because many of the things we believe for live in the invisible place. We can't see it. And I believe our faith must survive the invisible stage. Our faith has to, to work through and persevere through the invisible stage because um, it's in that stage where many people either persist or give up. Like Elijah. Elijah, man, he had a lot of invisible stages in his life. And like Elijah, you might have heard something that God has said to you. Maybe 
you are believing for something that God has placed in your heart. Maybe God has shown you something about where He wants you to go. Who He wants you to influence. Where He wants you to live. What difference He wants you to make. But it's invisible right now. And like some of you, I know how that feels. I've experienced that. Now, I'm going to use a word uh, that I paid a lot of money for. Because like some of you here, I've, I've invested a lot of money in, into education. So every now and again, I, I like to use some of that investment I made into my, inve in, into my education. And I'm going to use a word that I don't really use every day. I had to go look up the word again because I couldn't remember it. But I knew that I had the books that, that, that had the word in there. And kids' books are stuff that's made of paper. And you used to go to a library and you used to, like, you used to page through it. And, and uh, as you can see, I paged this way because I had to read it in Hebrew. So it goes the other direction. Some of you are thinking he's paging the wrong way. That doesn't make any sense. No, there is reason behind it. But I had to go and, and research the word again. And, and it's, it's a theory. Um, and it's, it's a theory that they have in theology. And you learn this in seminary school. It is called the already not yet stage. And the theological word is es eschatological tension. It's called the eschatological tension. That's a word that Jay would use on a daily basis. I had to go research it again. <laughs> so it's, for me, it's a big word, especially in English. In Afrikaans, it's easy. Eschatologische spanning. Everybody say that, yeah. And then you laugh at me when I say it in English. Yeah. Eschatologische spanning. Say, yeah, try that. And then you wipe the person in front of your head after you um, say it. See, I just shared with you an $80,000 word. And we give you coffee and donuts. So don't think you don't get stuff on Sunday morning. So we share. Uh, I want to thank the, the hospitality team just for setting that up again. It means the following. The eschatological tension means the following. Um, Christ came and he redeemed us with his sacrifice. We've been redeemed. Now we are Christians. Living in this present world that we are in with duties to love God and to love others like he has loved us. The victory is ours. But also... Yes, the already and not yet. Christ has not yet come again. All has not yet come to pass. We are not at the end yet. And though as Christians we strive towards the end of living a life that leads towards eternity. Victory is where we live from. But victory for many of us currently is not what we live in. Victory is what we live from. Christ has redeemed us. But for many, it's not what we live in. So, so when we look at Elijah, Elijah's got a lot of eschatological tension and eschatological events that he went through. And we're going to take a few steps back this week from last week when Elijah, I said this morning, it was so strange. Elijah last week, he, he suffered from depression because Jezebel wanted to kill him. 
And what did he do after he heard that Jezebel wanted to kill him? He ran 15 miles the first day. And then he ran another 15 miles the second day. And then he went and he laid under a tree. And then he said, God, please kill me. He could have saved 30 miles of running and just allowed Jezebel to do it. Like, why would you do that? Like, now you're tired. That's probably why you want to die. Like, who runs 30 miles? Crazy people. Anyway, so, so Elijah, in verse 40 of 1 Kings 18, says, And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink. For there is the sound of an abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Then he bowed down on the ground, and he put his face between his knees, and he said to the servant, Go up now, look, look and tell me what you see. So Elijah said to Ahab, Go, eat and drink, for there is sound of heavy rain. I am convinced. Uh, well, first of all, Ahab just saw an incredible miracle that happened. Right? God consumed the offering. Fire fell down from heaven because Elijah said God was going to consume the offering. So when Elijah said, go up, eat and drink, there is the sound of abundance of rain. I don't think Ahab wanted to question him. Because in that time, at that point, exact point, there was nothing. There was no sound. The sound that, Ahab was that Elijah was referring to was, it's like the only person who can probably hear it is, is Elijah. Nobody else could hear a thing. So Elijah says, go, Ahab, go eat, drink, for there's a sound of heavy rain. Now, sound of heavy rain, it's not good news for, for somebody who's planning an outdoor wedding. Right, it's not, it's, not a, it's not a pleasant sound. If you are planning an outdoor event, and I, and I did a wedding where, where it, it wasn't a drizzle. It was a cloud burst that happened in this outdoor wedding. This beautiful venue. The wedding was still amazing. Uh, great word. Um, beautiful ceremony. Anyway, good friends of ours had that wedding. If you've ever been on a wedding like that, it's, it's, not a, it's an inconvenient noise. The sound of heavy rain is inconvenient. I want you to think for a moment, what are some of the most inconvenient noises you can hear? Like an inconvenient noise is when you are in a rush to get to your daughter's hockey game because you were late and there is the sound of a siren behind you. That's an inconvenient noise. An inconvenient noise is, is when you can hear a car alarm the whole night. And the only person who can't hear the noise is the person who owns the car whose alarm is going off. That's an inconvenient noise. An inconvenient noise in South Africa is when you are walking in a parking lot and there's levels and you know that you parked on level two and you've marked where your car was supposed to be and you press the thing on your car alarm that's supposed to make the alarm go off and there's no noise. That's silence. That's an inconvenient noise because you know your car is stolen. 
That's an inconvenient noise. An inconvenient noise is while you're preaching and somebody's cell phone starts ringing. Use it, don't use it. Have you ever had those? Don't call me. <laughs> I'm telling Anjo. <laughs> I saw his eyes. No, you don't do that. Okay, so, so those are inconvenient noises. Now, if you've been in a famine, like this nation of Israel, they've been in for three and a half years, and you hear the sound of rain, that's not an inconvenient noise. That is a, oh, thank you, God noise. That is a, go up, eat and drink. For the sound of abundance rain, of the abundance of rain, I can hear it. That, that's how hungry the people in that situation, that's how hungry they were to hear from God. Sometimes I'll be preaching on a Sunday morning, and sometimes there'll be people that are yawning. And, and I get that, because um, you had a late night last night, uh, you didn't sleep well, um, it's never because the message is not good, because the word's always amazing. But I know, it's, I understand that sometimes we, we get tired. I, I get that. But what I've also found is, is, is that when you are desperate to hear from God, to hear His voice, to hear Him speak to you, His word is never boring and it's never inconvenient. Even though sometimes, well, I'd say mostly, it's challenging. God's word is challenging. It challenges you to, to bring change in your life and to, to adapt. To say, listen, there are certain things that I'm doing that's not aligning with what God says. And for me to change my ways means... It might be an inconvenience. It might feel like I'm going to have to take a way longer track than I was planning to go on. But following God's direction, man, it's a sound of abundance of rain. And I want that. So he says to Ahab, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. So, so Ahab goes and he goes off to eat and drink because the famine is over. Because Elijah said so. Because, because of Elijah, Elijah said it's not going to rain, there's going to be a drought. There was a drought. Now the guy that said it's not going to rain until I say so just said it's going to rain. So, so Ahab, he goes and eats and drinks. And Elijah, he climbed to the top of Carmel. Now I would like to demonstrate to you... <laughs> I love demonstrating what the Bible shows us. There's so many visual pictures in the Bible that helps us to understand exactly what was taking place. But, but these are one of those things which feels to me a little inappropriate to demonstrate for two reasons. Number one, physically I can do it. Because you have to bend down into a squatting position, put your elbows between your knees, dip your head down basically to touch the floor. And I can't do that. The second reason is because it would look awkward on stage. Because what Elijah was doing here was, Elijah went into the birthing position, a position of labor. 
It says, he bent down to the ground and he put his face between his knees. So Elijah took on the posture in those days of somebody, a woman, giving birth to a child. This is how they would do it. They would, I'm not going to show you. I might get stuck. <laughs> they would bend down, put their elbows between their knees, dip their heads down, and they would stay in that position. So this is the position that Elijah assumes. Now, uh, let's recap Elijah just really quickly. Elijah came out of nowhere. It basically, it, Elijah just showed up on the scene. He called drought, and he said there's going to be a drought because the people are worshiping idols. He said it's not going to rain until I say so. For three and a half years, it did not rain. Elijah was hiding during that time. First of all, Elijah survived. He survived the dry season. And he did it really well. And the way he did it was by obeying the voice of God. The way I'm going to survive this drought is I'm going to listen to what God says. And this is how I'm going to survive where other people are struggling to survive. So when the voice of the Lord told him, go to the brook, Elijah went to the brook. And when God told him, listen, ravens are going to feed you. An unclean bird's going to bring you food twice a day, breakfast buns and the evening burritos. You're going to have food twice a day. As long as, you, as long as you obey my word, I will look after you. Elijah did that. And then after a while, God came to Elijah, said to him, Elijah, the brook dried up. I want you to go to a widow, which is strange that God would send him to a widow. But Elijah obeyed again. And he stayed with the widow for three years. And her oil didn't run up run out and the flour didn't run out and they made food and they survived. But then after three and a half years of being a refugee, Elijah stands up and he says, okay, it's time to challenge those idols that you've been hanging on to. And he calls all the prophets and he, and he tells Ahab, bring the prophets 400 of Asherah and 450 of Baal. Bring them to the Mount Carmel. We are going to have a showdown between your God and my God. And we're going to show everybody, the whole nation, whose God is the real God. And he said to them, this is the challenge. You pick an ox, you put it in an altar. If your God is the real God, Baal, who is the God, the God of fire, call down fire and let him consume your offering. But if he is not, then nothing will happen. And I will do the same. And I will call on my God to bring, um, I'll bring an offering to him. And I'll ask him to consume the offering. And if he is God, he will do it. Let's see whose God is really God. So, so then the Baal prophets came and they danced and they sang and they cut themselves. And, they, and he said to them, maybe he's sleeping. Uh, maybe he's busy. Maybe he's afar. Maybe he's some, somewhere else. And they kept doing it. And eventually nothing happened. And Elijah said, okay, it's my turn. It's my turn. He tells him, okay, um, Put fire, uh, put the wood on, restore the altar, bring the ox, cut it up, put it on the altar. He says, bring water. And they pour on water. And he says, bring more water. And they pour more water. Bring more. That's not what you do when you want to make fire. You don't pour water and water and more water and more water on the wood. But then something amazing happens. God comes and he consumes the offering just like that. It felt visibly impossible. If you were there, you would have looked at that situation and would have gone, hmm, I don't know what this guy's doing, but I don't think it's going to work. See, God at that point, he was invisible. 
And for most people looking at it, it might have felt impossible. So Elijah, while the king goes off to eat and drink, he buries his head and he closes his eyes and he starts praying and he believes by faith that what he had spoken when he said to King Ahab, I hear the sound of abundance of rain, it's going to happen. And then he sends his servant. Now, I'm going to demonstrate this to you. Jubilee, will you help me, please? Okay, so he sends his servant. Okay, so this is my servant, Jubilee. Okay, so, so you can stand right there. Okay, so Jubilee, so what I want you to do is I want you to run to the front of the building, and I want you to look to see if there's a cloud. Okay, so go, run. Run to, to the front. So, so he tells his servant, go up to the top of the mountain. Now, the servant's gone. He's checking out, can I see a cloud? I am convinced that the servant came back slower than the servant went out. Because he has to deliver a message, some bad news to the man of God. You don't want to give Elijah bad news. <laughs> if you just think about what they all just experienced. Call down fire from heaven took 850 prophets down to the river, slaughtered them, killed all of them. And this is the guy that you have to tell, there's nothing there. And another thing, oh, yeah, the slave's coming back. So Elijah's in this weird prayer position, right? So imagine, he doesn't even look up. And then, uh, is the, what is there? There's nothing. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. Okay, go again. He has to tell this guy now, who's king, who he just told, go up to the top, go and eat and drink and celebrate. Elijah just told the king that he must go and have a big party on the hill. He has to tell him that whatever you told the king, you told the king it's going to rain. You've sent your servant up to go see, and the servant comes back and says, uh, look at the phrase. I don't know if we're, if we're, oh, there it is. There is nothing there. Comes back and says, there's nothing there. The servant comes coming back and it's like, I don't know if you want to catch up to the king maybe, and maybe tell him, hey, I made a mistake. Don't eat and drink too much because we're still in famine. The drought's not over. I don't know if you, if you want to just maybe go and correct because I don't know what you heard, but I don't see anything over the sea. There's nothing. See, whenever faith starts, remember we're talking about the start of, of the process of faith in your life. Whenever faith starts, it feels like nothing. Do you know what this church started with? Nothing. Do you know what the disciples had? And the slave is getting tired. Do you, do you know what the disciples had when, when Jesus was on the mountain? And he said to them, you feed the 5,000. You know what they packed in their cooler box? Nothing. They had nothing. Now, be, before we go on, right at this point in the message, what I want you to do is, I want you to evaluate. Is there even something in my life right now 
that requires faith. We had a meeting with pastors this week about how we're going to reach the community and people more. And the one comment that the pastor made was, you know, we should do what they're doing in Iran and in China in the underground church. Um, because the church is growing phenomenally. And I'm like, you know, I get what you're saying. I'm so thankful for the church growing, growing there. But the difference between there and here is people fear for their lives. Here, people don't require, it's like most people on the street have faith for nothing. There's nothing that they even believe in God for. Are you believing God for anything? And it comes from you actually going to him and asking in relationship, Father God, what, what is it that you want me to be involved with? What is it that you want me to have faith for? What are you calling? What did you see? Nothing. Okay, go again. And you have to come back faster because that was a really slow walk this time. Remember, you walk talking to Elijah. He, this guy can kill people. Um, nothing. They saw nothing. I wonder how many of us are in the it's nothing stage. Now, I want to say there's two groups of people that we have right here. We have people who are living lives of faith, believing God for something to do something, and right now there's nothing. And then we have people who are Christians, but you're not believing God for anything. And you have nothing also because there's nothing to believe for. So there was nothing. And this might be words and phrases that, that, that you might have heard. There is nothing. Maybe the doctor have told you there is nothing we can do for you. Maybe you were told since you were a little kid, there is nothing special about you. Anything? Nothing yet. Okay, go again. Now remember, Elijah's in a prayer birth position, head by down. Not even looking at the slave, just go again, go again. See, the invisible stage, it's kind of tough because you know in the invisible stage, you know what you heard God say about the situation. You know what you are sensing on the inside. And sometimes it's like in a direct contradiction of what you are seeing in front of you. It's directly the opposite of what you are seeing or even hearing from people or what culture might be telling you. But you know what it feels like on the inside. I know what it feels like to be looking at nothing and hearing God say something different than what I'm seeing. Do you know that? I, it's... It's like, it's almost like we are growing up in our faith when you get to that place where you are trusting God to do something. Are you believing God for something? Um, is a good question that I think that all of us, we can, we can only answer it on a personal level. Nobody else can answer it on your behalf. What are you believing Him for? Maybe it might be you're praying for your kids, but right now there's nothing, there's no change. Maybe um, you are praying for your relationship with your wife or with your husband to be better. 
but there's nothing. There's no change. Maybe you're praying for more revenue so that you can be a blessing to others. You're sowing seed, and you're blessing people, and you're loving people, and you're applying the principles, but there's nothing. There's no change. But Elijah just does something that I think is spectacular. This is what Elijah does. Slave comes back. It's now, how many times have you gone? Four times. Yeah. Four times. No, we're not going to jump the gun. Don't count accurately. Four times. Elijah does something spectacular. How many times would you send a slave out to look again? He says, go back, look again. Go and look again. I really want you to get this point. I want you to get this because this is how it feels. This is how it feels that you get the same report over and over and over again. And it's not the one that, that, that you are sensing or believing God that is doing in your life. It's different than that. He says, go back and do again. This is how it feels to wait on God with faith. This is how it feels to worship God in a dry season. It's how it feels um, for Elijah for three and a half years, not hearing the sound of rain, saying that it's going to rain, making the declaration to the king, putting his head down, and there's nothing. Anything yet? Nothing. Go look again. Now, what I love about this thing is Elijah is not moving. He's not moving from his position. He's giving birth to something. And I think it might be because if he had to go and see it himself, I think he might have lost his faith. Maybe he knows where I am right now and how it seems right now, I I can't look at my situation Because if I look at it, I might stop listening to what God is saying. So I need to hear what God says. Still nothing? Nothing. Not not, nothing. Go again. Nothing. Man, if I think of the examples in the Bible, there's nothing. Naaman. Got leprosy. Go dip yourself in the Jordan. He goes into the Jordan. He dips himself under. He comes back up again. Leprosy's still there. There's no healing. There's nothing. He says, do it again. Dips himself again. Do it again. Dips again. Do it again. Dips seven times. For six of the seven times, he comes up and there's no result. There's nothing. Israel walking around the walls of Jericho. Day one, we're walking. God's going to do a miracle. He's going to bring down the walls. We're going to have victory over our enemies. And they're walking day one and there's nothing. And they're walking day two and there's nothing. They're walking day three and there's still nothing. And by day six, they might be, what is going to happen? Because nothing is changing. And day seven, God brings down the walls because He said so. Five trips down the mountain, five trips up the mountain, there's nothing, go again. Six trips, there's nothing, go again. There's still nothing. There's still nothing. Pray again. Praise again. Sing again. Serve again. 
Is there anything? There's nothing. Go do it again. Praise again. Pray again. Believe again. Even when there is nothing, you keep persisting in what God has told you to do. Because the seventh time he came back, there was something. Thank you, Jubilee. You can sit down. You, you were an amazing slave. Now, now listen. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Again. And again, and again, hearing God's word, hearing God's word. I have to hear God's word. What does God say about my situation? What is God saying about me? What is God saying about where I'm going? What is God saying about the plans? I have to hear and hear it again. And you have to hear him say it to you, which means you have to constantly be in relationship with him. God, what are you saying? Where am I going? What are your plans? It doesn't come just by generally doing nothing. We have to seek him. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. I cannot see it yet. But just because you can't see it doesn't mean he didn't speak it. In verse 43, it said, said the following. And he said to his servant, go, go up now, look towards the sea. So he went up and he looked and he said, there's nothing. And seven times he said, go again, go again, go look again. We are talking about, about our perspective. Every time he told him to go, he said to him, go and look again. Go and see again. Go and look again. We are talking about what are you seeing now? Change your perspective. He says, look again. And the servant said, there was nothing. Seven times came back, there's nothing. There's nothing. I can't see anything. See, see God's perspective and I hope you get this, requires persistence and perseverance. God's perspective regarding you, who you are, what He's made you to be, it requires persistence and perseverance. You might not feel victorious, but if you are persistent in your, in your heart and your desire to follow His ways, you will see the victory. I believe it. And to have God's perspective in this world that we live in requires persistence. Do things God's way. Doing things His revealed way. That requires persistence. For you to see God's secret will. Remember we spoke about God's got a secret will. And God has a revealed will. We will never get to God's secret will unless... We apply His revealed will. If you want to see His secret will, it requires you to be persistent in His revealed will. Do it again. Go again. Serve again. Forgive again. Love again. Pray again. Praise again. Sing again. Worship again. Humble yourself again. Search your heart again. Go to the altar again of sin and saying, God, I'm sorry for breaking relationship. Go and do it again and again and again and again. It's persistence. And the first time you measure your life, many people, um, I think lots of young people when they go to youth camps, they had this incredible high, this, this ladder event, and then they go back home and everything they thought they're going to be right now after they go back home, suddenly it, it's just not there. 
It's not the same as they thought they were going to be because the problems are still there. They don't just disappear. Real faith knows that sometimes you have to look through and you have to look past what's in front of you. Especially if you see nothing. It requires us where there's nothing in front of me to look past that and say, I know what God said, even though I see nothing. I know what He said. And I don't know what you are looking at that doesn't look right in your life. But I can tell you something about perspective and perseverance and persistence. Some of the greatest things in your life that God will do in your life will be because you went back and you looked again. Some of the greatest things God will do in your life will be the things that that you are about to walk away from and think, I'm just going to give up on this. It's not working. But you go back one more time and said, wait a minute, I'm going to look at this again. Because I was about to give up on my marriage. I was about to give up on my, my business. I was about to give up on my kids. I was about to give up on my relationships. And some men I spoke to this week who were about to give up on their lives. When you get God's perspective, God says, look again. Look again. Don't quit. Don't give up. Look again. Change your perspective. Change your view. We, we sometimes think, we make the mistake, we think that God's presence is there to fix the problems. I can just have God's presence, my problems will be fixed. I know God can bring healing and restoration with His presence, I believe that. But what I have experienced in my life, God's presence bring a, brings a change in perspective. You want God's presence to change your view. I want God's presence to look at my situation and my circumstance and see, God, what are you seeing? Because if I can see what you see, this thing will not get me under. We want God's presence to fix our perspective, my view. What am I looking at? I'm going to look again and I'm going to look at it your way. Please hear me. Faith and sight are not friends. And that's what I'm calling all of us to. I do believe the church of God needs to rise up as a church of faith again. Not just for eternal salvation. Not just for one day we can go to heaven because I believe in Jesus Christ. That's great, you have that. But we are supposed to be a body that functions with faith for our own lives, but also for others. And if we refuse to look again at what God wants us to do and for what might be in front of you, we will not be a people of faith. We will just be a religious organization. And that's not what we are called to. We are called to lay our hands on the sick in faith, believing that God can heal. We are called to look after the oppressed and do everything we possibly can so that God can bring bring just a release of all the pain and the hurt and the anxiety and the stress and the fear. We are called to be a people of faith to make a difference in other people's lives. 
And I, it's like I want to ask the church, let's look again. Are we doing that? Faith, people think the opposite of faith is doubt or disbelief. It's not. Biblically, opposite to faith is sight. Because if I can see it, I don't need faith to believe it. And the problem is not that we are asking questions. Asking questions to God is not the problem. The answer of faith is that I refuse to accept what might be in front of me right now. Especially when God has told you something about you and there's nothing. What did you see? Nothing. What was it? Nothing. Faith, faith is looking through what I can't see and looking again. It's what David, David did when he was standing in front of Goliath. The whole nation of Israel was standing looking at the giant saying, it's impossible for us to have victory over this giant. And David being a young boy, five foot something, said, I'm going to look again. And he goes, ha, that's an uncircumcised man. He looked again and that uncircumcised man means he does not have a relationship with our God, which means he's going to die. That's David. Jesus looking at the 5,000, they're saying, listen, feed them. And they go, we've got nothing. Look again. You've got a father that's the provider that can do all things. Moses, the whole nation of Israel uh, with him. They're standing at the, at the Red Sea and, and the Egyptians are coming from the back and they're coming to kill them. And Moses cries out to God and say, God, what is going on? How are we going to get out of this? And God says, look again. He says, look again and see that you will never see them in this way ever again. Look and see in front of you how I'm going to make a way for your salvation. Look again. And I don't know what your situation or your circumstances that you might be in right now. Maybe it's about your future. Maybe it's about um, just personal things. What you're going to study, about your business, about moving, about not moving, about direction where you're going. God is saying, if I've given you a promise, if there is nothing, do not worry about the nothing. Say to the hearing, what have I told you? If there's nothing, look again. Keep looking, keep checking. If God's called you to a ministry and you are not in it right now, it might be because the time was not right. God says, look again. Look again. Go again. Pray again. Sing again. And, and I'll finish with, with this part. So persistence, man. It was amazing persistence. And Elijah prayed expectantly. It says in verse 44, that the man comes back, the, seven, uh, the servant comes back the seventh, uh, the seventh time and says, Behold, <laughs> this is how desperate this guy was to give a reply. A cloud, the size of a man's hand, is coming up over the sea. <laughs> Watch Elijah's response. He runs to Ahab. He says, Oh, he saw a little cloud. He told Ahab, you better get into your chariot 
and make your way down to the castle because when the rain comes, you won't be able to get there. What did they see? Cloud the size of a man's hand. So God doesn't always reveal everything at once. It might be a cloud the size of a man's hand. But what was the word that you heard? The word that Elijah held on to was, there's an abundance of rain coming. What do I see right now? Cloud the size of a man's hand. That's not a big cloud. I want for all of us, for, for me personally, I mean, God is, is calling me to look again. He's calling me to look again at every area of my life where faith is absent. And say, look again, what are you trusting me for? What are you believing me for? What are you hoping for? Where do you want to go? What, what have I spoken over your life? What, what has God spoken over, over your life that you've let go of? God's calling you, come back, look again. And I hope that really stirs in your heart today to go to Him and say, God, forgive me for, for not holding on or for, for wavering off, for being like that tennis ball that shifted, or not tennis ball, that would have been a great experiment, ping pong ball that shifted sideways. Forgive me for, for losing the direction or the path. I want to stay where you are. Let's pray. Father God, I want to pray for your church family this morning. And I want to pray for the church body in general. All the churches in this neighborhood. In this country, across the world, Father. Where we've neglected faith. Of believing you for things that you want to do in our lives, but not just in ours, in our communities, in our nations, in our friends, in our families, in our loved ones' lives. Father, where we've neglected faith, I pray that you will stir in us the desire to look again at what you have promised and to hold on to your word, to not let it go. So Father, in faith, I want in obedience. This morning, I want to pray in faith that you said that we should pray for the sick and they will recover and they will be healed. So anybody who's here this morning, all I want you to do is if you have any pain, any area that's hurting, that might be in pain, maybe if you know that there is something in your body that needs to be recovered, that needs healing, just place your hand there. Father God, I, I want to respond in faith to what you've called us to do, is to pray for the sick, for our iniquities, for our pains, for our struggles. And I want to pray for your healing over every person that's here today. I want to pray for your recovery over joints, over muscles, over cells, over bones, over things that are not aligned with being healthy and strong. And I want to pray and I want to thank you, Jesus, that you died for all our sickness, all our disease, all our pains on the cross. So when we look at you again and we recognize that you did this on our behalf, we want to receive our healing today. And where you are, you can just say, God, I receive my healing. Thank you.
Father, we also want to pray for probably the biggest tragedy that is happening in the world. People missing their purpose in you. I want to pray for the purpose and the talents and the plans that you have for every person here. The ones that have given up on life and the life that you have for them. I pray that you will this morning stir in them the desire to look again and not give up on the word that you've spoken over them. Return to us the dreams and the plans and the purposes that you have for us. We love you, God. We know that you are good and your plans are good. In Jesus Christ's wonderful name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Life Church audio podcast. If this message spoke to you, go ahead and share it with your friends and family. And let's get the word of God into the lives of more people out there. For more information about us, go to thisislifechurch.com. And remember that we can make a difference by loving people.